Thank you for joining us today on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our series, Rhythms of Grace. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen, amen, amen. Well, good evening, Hope Church family. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Hopefully you brought them. If not, open your app. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter six in just a moment. Uh, Matthew chapter six. As you're turning there, I wanna ask you a question. I want you to think about something in your life that maybe you, uh, you are painfully ignorant of. What, what do I mean by that? Maybe it, it's something you, you think you probably should know more about in life, but you just never really had the desire or the dedication to understand it. There's just things, there's too much, too many things to understand and know and you don't have enough time. So what are those things that you're like, that's, that's something I probably should know about but I just don't have the desire or the dedication to find out about it. I'll give you some examples from my own life. She's not here today but I told her I'd be doing this. My wife, Candace, is, is after 15 years of marriage almost, we celebrate that this year, and 19 years of being, of being in a dating relationship, we, we are still constantly kind of wrestling and arguing about the fact that she knows nothing about football. Like, it's so sad. She's not raising two boys that love football, and, and the girl is painfully ignorant of how the game of football works. Sit down to watch the Cowboys play, and she's still asking the most basic elementary questions about football. Why? Because she just doesn't really have the desire or the dedication to learn. For me, uh, this was something that was really stressing me out until it kind of crashed in front of all of us. But about a year ago, during the height of the, of the cryptocurrency craze, I, I thought, man, I messed up. This was my chance to be a millionaire, and I don't know about it, and I should. I didn't do my research. I was painfully ignorant of crypto. And again, that has not aged well. Uh, it is not necessarily something you want to get into now if you're looking to invest. I highly discourage you from investing in crypto. I'll say it this way. There are elements of life that make us curious but intimidated and due to a lack of understanding may be completely ignored. You can think about things in your own life that way. That's for you, maybe football. For you, cryptocurrency. There's something that is like, there's a curiosity but there's an intimidation, and because of your lack of knowledge or understanding, you probably completely ignore it. Now, I understand tonight that the game of football or cryptocurrency may not have these substantial levels of effect on our lives, but what I want us to see today is there's actually areas of our spiritual life. There are areas of our spiritual life that could suffer because they remain undiscovered. And today, Hope Church family, we are going to explore a practice from the life of Jesus that may be the most mysterious, confusing, and intimidating practice in the Christian life. I'm just going to leave that hanging for just a minute to build the tension and let you know if you've just joined us, we are in week five of a series called Rhythms of Grace, practicing the way of Jesus in everyday Life. We've made a website available for you. Hopefully you've accessed that. This is not what we're wanting to do is just build an audience and preach sermons. We're wanting us to all, as a church family, begin to actually practice the way of Jesus. So we've given you lots of tools and resources to help these messages become something that we actually begin to live out. 
If you haven't joined us the first four weeks of the series, encourage you to go back online and watch the messages. But really, we're asking the question, how do we grow as Jesus followers? As we abide in Christ, the Bible tells us that we are also to train ourselves for godliness. We don't want to just be people who believe what Jesus said. We want to live the life that Jesus lived because he told us it's abundant and life-giving and it's what he desires for us. So we've been saying this phrase every single week of the series. If you've been joining us, hopefully you're catching on. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. This is us abiding in Christ and training for godliness, and this is how we grow. One of the ways that we do this, we train for godliness that we've been discussing in this series and studying and challenging us with in this series are what have historically been known as the the spiritual disciplines, or what we are calling rhythms of grace. It's what God does in us by the power of the Spirit that we work out in our lives. We gave us a definition that these rhythms of grace are habits and practices that create time and space for us to be transformed by God. Leads to more deepening of of abiding in him. So we talked about prayer and silence and solitude. I, I hope that there's been moments over the last few weeks that you've taken some time away from people to be alone in silence and solitude with the God who loves you and wants to meet with you. We talked about reading God's word, the the practice, the discipline of, of getting in the truth of God, which is his word, and letting him transform you by it. And then last week, Pastor Trent did a great job talking about Sabbath, the practice of stopping and resting and delighting and and worshiping. This is a, a practice that helps us deeper abide in Christ. This is how we grow. And we want to remind you every single week of the series that the the rhythms of grace or the disciplines are not the goal. We're not just trying to check boxes here. The, 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 The rhythms are means of grace to get to the greater goal, which is more of God, more growth in abiding in him. And so today, I bring you back to where we started. We study what may be the most mysterious and confusing an intimidating practice of Jesus and his followers throughout the centuries. Today, we are studying the discipline or the practice fasting. Now, I know this is, again, every time we put the, the rhythm of grace that we're studying, there's a lot of feels, there's a lot of thoughts, and maybe more than ever on this one. Some are thinking, I have no idea what that is, or I'm out, it's time to check my email, or I'm gonna slowly make my way out to my car. I don't want to lean into this, and I'm just challenging us. I believe, and I'm gonna share from my own personal experience, God can use the practice of fasting to grow us. I wanna go back to the way I began this message. Fasting for many of you, for many of us, may be this thing that we probably should know more about. It's in the Bible, we'll talk about that. But because of a lack of desire or or really time to to dedicate to it, we just kinda have not really experienced what it could mean in our lives. Back to what I said on the screen. Fasting is a practice from the life of Jesus that may make us curious but intimidated and due to a lack of understanding, we may completely ignore. Donald Whitney, guy who wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, it's on that website, been a great tool for us as we've studied this series. He said this very plainly, fasting 
is the most feared and misunderstood of all the spiritual disciplines. So this is what we have on the table for us tonight to study. And I'm praying as we study this, every week that we preach here at Hope Church, I hope that we are transformed by the word of God and the preaching of it. I pray that we would be inspired as we hear from the word of God. But there are other times, and I think tonight's maybe one of those times when it's not just information and it's not just, it's not just inspiring, it's very instructive. It is teaching us what we don't know. And I think maybe more than it's been in a while here, this is a topic that we all need to lean into because we just don't really know a lot about fasting. So I wanna challenge you. You're here, you're ready for the word of God. Lean in to see what God might have for you because I'm, I'm telling you out of personal experience over the last couple years, fasting is a way that God can and will use to grow you in your faith. So here's the big idea. We call it the sermon in a sentence. Here's where we're headed today. In a unique way, fasting creates a hunger for God and deepens our dependence on him. In a unique way, fasting creates a hunger for God and deepens our dependence on him. Now, hear me clearly. There are a ton of ways to create a hunger for God and deepen our dependence on him. Fasting is not the only way, but as we will see today, fasting is a very unique way to deepen our dependence on him and our hunger for God. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna ask three questions about fasting. Simple three questions about fasting. The first one is as bottom shelf as it gets. Here's the first question I want us to answer. What is fasting? What is this idea? You may be completely in the dark. You may know a whole lot about it. What is fasting? Well, in and of itself, this is not an exclusively Christian idea. In fact, if you asked everybody in the room, I'm sure at some point, at some level, every single person in the room has fasted. If you've ever gotten blood work done, chances are you got a phone call the night before that said, hey, we wanna make sure that everything's clear and clean, so you need to fast for a certain amount of hours so we get the right, we get the right measurements in your blood. Other religions fast. This is not exclusively a Christian idea. In the last several years in the fitness and health space, intermittent fasting has become all the rage. Some of you, praise God, might intermittent fast for the sake of health and, and fitness. But we're not asking the question just what is fasting in and of itself. What we wanna know is what is biblical fasting? That's how we grow as a follower of Jesus. So what is biblical fasting? I'll give us a simple definition. Abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Now, I studied a lot of different authors and theologians and helpful resources, and this is a, a simplified version as I could give us today. Simply put, Biblical fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes, a.k.a. not eating. <laughs> I know, right there, like, this just boggles our American minds. Like, the abundance mindset we have, where we have fridges and, and pantries stocked full of all the delectable pleasures that can give me all the desires of my little heart. When I hear something like, hey, you want to grow spiritually? Don't eat. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go with the other ones. I'm out. <laughs> this is a tough one, which I hope to see as we wrestle. And I want to also note that the fasting is not the same as abstinence from other things. Many people talk about fasting very broadly. 
They say you could fast from a lot of things. You could fast from, from social media. You're gonna fast from Netflix or maybe fast from alcohol. And while those may be very helpful things to abstain from, as we look at the Bible, that is not biblical fasting. Again, they may be helpful. Those may be great ways for you to grow and to, for you to eliminate distractions from your life. But when we look at the word of God, it's always abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. And we see it all over scripture. I'll give you kind of a high level before we get to Matthew chapter six, but in the Old Testament, there are a lot of famous people in the Old Testament that fasted. I'll just give you a list here. Moses and Samson and Samuel and Hannah and David and Elijah and Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and Daniel and many others practiced fasting, abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. The New Testament tells us of the fasting of Jesus. We're studying on and off the, the gospel of Mark. You guys know the story. When Jesus is baptized, he goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and he fasts. Jesus Christ himself practiced fasting. John the Baptist, Jesus' disciples, Paul, and numerous others. Fasting is all over the word of God. In fact, did you know that fasting is actually mentioned in the Bible more times than something as important as baptism? And baptism is right and good, and we celebrate it. We celebrated it last weekend, but fasting is talked about over 30 times, and baptism is talked about about 25 times. And all this talk is you can't get away from it in the Word of God, and yet it is the least practiced, in my experience, spiritual discipline in the Christian life. And here's why I think that's important. Let me give us a biblical reality today. Fasting is expected of Jesus' followers. Fasting is expected of Jesus' followers. I know some of you are thinking, you gotta put some Bible on that so I can believe you. Matthew chapter six, hopefully it's open there in your lap or in your app. Look at Matthew chapter six. We're gonna look at verses 16 to 18, but we're gonna look at the first four words at first. Here's what Matthew chapter six, verse 16 says. This is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't know what that is, read it later, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Greatest sermon ever preached. Such rich, amazing teaching from our Lord. If you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount, this is right smack dab in the middle. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 16. And when you fast. When you fast. It is an expectation in fact, if you look at the whole of Matthew chapter six, it's right in the middle of when he's talking about giving to the poor and also praying. And so he says, when you give, in uh, verse two, when you give, and then he talks about what it looks like to give. And then in verse seven, he says, when you pray, and then he talks about how we pray, and he talks about what we call the Lord's Prayer. And then in verse 16, he says, in the same vein, when you fast. See, it's an expectation that you would give and you would pray and you would Fast. Fasting is expected of followers of Jesus. I do want to note, as you talk about giving and, and praying and, and fasting, giving and praying in other portions of the scriptures are commands of God. There are other portions of scripture that command us to give and to pray. And fasting is never exclusively commanded in the word of God. It's not commanded, but it is a voluntary expectation for those who follow Christ. So if you're here today and you're thinking, okay, okay, do I, do, I, do I have to fast? Listen, I wanna be true to the word of God. It is not a command from scripture. 
I pray at the end of this message, at the end of this weekend, as you wrestle with the spirit of God in you and the word of God before you, you would not be asking the question, do I have to fast? You would be asking the question, why would I not get in on what God has for me through fasting? So this is where we are headed today as we talk about fasting. It's worth noting that Christians throughout the ages have practiced fasting. It's actually only in the last couple hundred years that this practice has fallen off the Christian map. As you study church history, all, through the seven, all throughout the 17th century, from when Jesus was here to the 17th century, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Christian that didn't fast one to two times a week. It was a regular rhythm of their lives to fast. I believe it's because of what we read a couple chapters later, if you want to flip over there, in Matthew chapter 9. Flip over to Matthew chapter 9 in your Bibles. I believe Christians saw this as a regular practice to be enjoyed because of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9. So what's going on here is Jesus has just called Matthew the tax collector to follow him. Matthew is a tax collector. Do some study on that. That's not a great a revered person in that culture. He's got a lot of friends that are, that are kind of some outsiders and outcasts, and Jesus is hanging out with the wrong people. And some people start asking questions, even disciples of John the Baptist. Pharisees are asking him questions, disciples of John are asking us questions, and this is what we see in Matthew 9, verse 14. The disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, if you don't know how the story plays out, Jesus did go away from us. He died for the sin of the world. He rose again three days later. He gave us a commission as followers of Jesus, filled us with his Holy Spirit, and then he was taken away. He is now sitting in the right hand of the Father. And so Christians throughout the ages said, he told us when the bridegroom is taken away, we will fast. And now for 17 or for 17 centuries, they did exactly what Matthew 9 says. They fasted. And the question I have for us, Hope Church, to wrestle with is why on earth did we stop? A couple hundred years ago, this just like, halted in the lives of everyday followers of Jesus. Why have most of us stopped what Jesus expects? That's what fasting is. Abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Here's the second question, really the meat of where I wanna go tonight. How does fasting help us grow spiritually? How does fasting help us grow spiritually? We started out by saying today, in a unique way, fasting creates a hunger for God and deepens our dependence on him. And all throughout the Bible, people fasted for a lot of different reasons, as you study. They, they fasted to express repentance, to grieve, to seek God's guidance on a particular matter. They fasted for a lot of different reasons. And you may have some, some thoughts about what fasting is, and I just wanna help us navigate that tonight because we can unintentionally or maybe even intentionally either undervalue this practice or overcomplicate it. So how does it help us grow spiritually? To, to help us unpack this, I'll look to the old school reformer, John Calvin. He has a great quote on what happens normally in the lives of followers of Jesus. Here's what he says. 
He says, let us say something about fasting. Because many, for want of knowing its usefulness, undervalue its necessity. What he's about to do here is he's about to put two unhealthy and unhelpful views pitted against each other. So some undervalue its necessity, and some reject it as almost superfluous, which basically means useless. Well, on the other hand, where the use of it is not well understood, it easily degenerates into superstition. Some of you are thinking, okay, give me the 2023 translation of what Calvin is saying. Here's what Calvin is saying. Some people are over here saying, I don't get it. What, what's, the, what's the point, right? Like, come on, man, we got the word of God. We got the spirit of God. Let's be honest, I like my food. It's not a command, I'm out. They undervalue what God has expected of followers of Jesus. And on the other hand, people look at it like this, this way to control God. They look at it as a superstitious way. Like it's this mechanical lever that if I fast, I can control what happens in my life and control God. Let me just remind us, we never control the sovereign king of glory. This is not something we have the ability to do, yet some people use fasting as a way to try to twist God's arm into doing what they want. So these are two pitfalls that we wanna avoid. Some of you may be falling in these two camps right now. I wanna help us fall in the middle to see this as a beautiful way to create a hunger for God and deepen our dependence on him. Every Jesus follower should want that. So how do we get it? To do that, I wanna give us four purposes of fasting. Now hear me, there are way more than four. <laughs> there are a ton of purposes for fasting, but for the sake of our time and where I believe we're headed as a church, I, I want to give us four purposes of fasting. And again, this is instructive. I believe a lot of this information will be new for some of us. Four purposes for fasting, here's the first one. To offer our whole selves fully to God. To offer our whole selves Hear me clearly, fasting is not something we do to get something from God. Many people look at fasting that way. That is not what the purpose of fasting is. In a very real and tangible and physical way, fasting is a way that we give something to God, namely our physical selves. And this is a paradigm shift for many of us because we look at our faith in Jesus as, as very ethereal, like our, our, our faith is this spiritual and maybe emotional thing and we look at our faith as a very disembodied faith. But let me remind you, God created us to be embodied creatures. Your body is not just a useless shell. You were given a body by God to steward. A lot of us don't like to hear this, but the way we take care of our physical bodies is a part of our faith. The way we use, the way we steward, and the way we care for our physical bodies. Let me show you a, a verse of scripture to, to illustrate this. Romans chapter 12. This is an incredible verse. It's a turn in the page in the book of Romans. If you know the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, Paul's just going into the Roman church about theology and the deep things of God. And he kind of turns the page in chapter 12. He says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our word bodies in the original Greek language is the word soma. And it's not a word that doesn't just mean your mind or your soul, but also your physical body. It's a word that literally means the whole self you possess, your mind, your soul, your body. 
Fasting is a way to offer my entire self more fully to God. And this is so different for many of the ways, I know it for me, before I began to practice this, I looked at fasting almost as a way to, to like tell God I was serious about something. <laughs> Have you ever fasted like that? You're like, God, I, I'm praying about this, but I just need you to know I'm also f- fasting about this. Like, okay, God, I'm, double, I'm doubling down. I'm like, I'm like starving my body because I need you to know I'm really serious about that. So I'm literally gonna put my stomach where my mouth is, God, and I need you to show up. And this is a way we think there's a lever somewhere that we're twisting God's arm to do what we want him to do. In this way, we're using it as a tool, much like we use fasting as a tool in other areas of our lives. I fast before blood work, why? So I can see the results that I need to see. I do intermittent fasting and it's a lever that I use to to maybe lose weight or feel better in the morning. I fast for my spiritual life so God will do what I want him to do. This is how a lot of us view fasting but that's not what this is about. If we look at it through the lens of, of Romans 12, a living sacrifice, we're presenting our bodies. Let me remind you, sacrifices don't make demands, sacrifices surrender. And when I abstain from food, it actually, the thing that nourishes my body, I'm starving, I'm starving my flesh. Romans 12, put that back on the screen if you will. Romans 12, one, it actually is worship. It's me giving my whole self to God. And it's amazing when you actually study what happens in your body when you fast. Our God is so good that he's actually created what happens at a cellular level when you fast is amazing. In fact, if you look throughout the centuries, Roman soldiers would fast before battle so that their bodies were as sharp and ready for battle as they could possibly be. Other religions have a lot of different ways specifically for physical performance that that they fast for. There are people in the health and fitness industry that talk all about fasting because they want peak physical performance. And those are all great means of grace. But primarily, fasting is about me giving my whole self to God, to, to worship him. It's a new way for some of us to look at fasting. It's a way to offer my whole self to him. Here's the second purpose of fasting. To intensify our spiritual desire. To intensify our spiritual desire. I'm gonna put a verse on the screen. It might seem kind of out of left field, but I'll explain why I wanna teach this. This is Psalm chapter 42. Maybe you've read verses like this, like I have, and you've had a question mark as you read them. Here's the psalmist. As the deer longs for streams of water. Your translation might say, as the deer pants for water. So I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Can I just be really honest? For many years of my Christian life, when I read verses like that, I thought, oh man, I don't, I don't think I love God very much. <laughs> I, I have taught, you can read in my book of Psalms, in my Bible, there are question marks and like, man, I don't feel this way, God. Like there's a longing here that I don't quite understand and I just can't, I can't explain it to you, I can just tell it to you. Until I started the practice of fasting, these verses did not make sense to me. 
But as I began to practice fasting in my life, I started to understand what the psalmist was feeling, that there is a spiritual intensity that comes with me starving my flesh to experience more of what God wants to do in my spirit. I'm willfully abstaining from food because I want more of an intense desire for God. John Piper wrote a book on fasting called Hunger for God. This is a lengthy quote, but I think it's such a gem if we really let it minister to us. Here's what he said. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast, this much, oh God, I want you. Some of us look at this and think, man, that's a different level of spirituality. That, that's like, I'm like JV level, maybe freshman level. This is like varsity level spirituality. Listen, Fasting is expected in the life of a Jesus follower. I'm trying to challenge us as a church. What if you took God up on what he said and you actually saw this kind of intensity in your life, this kind of hunger for God, this kind of dependence on God? Because I'm just telling you now that I've practiced this for a couple years. When I fast, my, my desire for God goes up and my desire for sin goes down. And that right there is just like enough inspiration for some of you to say, man, I'm gonna try to fast this week. <laughs> Seriously though, you, you have a, a nagging sin in your life that you can't seem to kick. What if you fasted this week? Hear me, not as a way to twist God's arm like he's some sort of genie, but to, as a way to, to grow in your desire for God, therefore numbing the effect of sin in your life because you want God so much. This is what we see in fasting. It's one way it can be helpful for us. It heightens our spiritual, it's a spiritual intensifier in our lives. Here's the third, here's the third purpose of fasting. How are we doing, by the way? We good? We, we rock and rolling? Okay, okay. You're like, man, it's a lot. This is instructive. To amplify our prayers. To amplify our prayers. We've already established this is not a way as a lever to make God do what we want. But as you read the scriptures, hope there does seem to be an amplifying of our prayers while we are fasting. And I'm just gonna confess, I do not fully understand what I just said. I don't understand in God's sovereignty how it works. If anyone tells you they fully understand how your prayers are amplified while fasting, I would submit to you they are probably trying to sell you a book. I don't understand it, but we see it all over scripture and some of us have experienced this in our lives. I'll show you. Two instances, they're the same story, one from Matthew and one from Mark. Matthew chapter 17 and Mark chapter nine, there's this interesting story where Jesus' disciples are, are casting out demons and they can't cast out this one demon. So they go to Jesus and they say, man, we, we can't do it. And Jesus does his thing and he goes and casts out the demon and then the disciples pull him aside and they say, why couldn't we do that? Like they're, they're getting pretty good at this demon casting out they're kind of amateur demon caster outers and they're saying, why couldn't we do that, Jesus? Jesus says something very interesting in Matthew 17, verse 21. He says, this kind 
does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, again, mind blown a little bit. We could dive deep in this, like this kind. What, what are we, whoa, <laughs> there's different kinds. Like that could, we could really get sidetracked, but there is something that is happening here that Jesus says, I like how Matt Chandler from, from Dallas, Texas said it. Pastor Matt Chandler said, there's like, a, there's like a turning up of the power in our lives when we are dependent on God in fasting. Again, I can't fully explain that. I, I think I can understand it's because when we're fasting, we're desperate. And all throughout the scripture, God seems to be moved by the prayers of his desperate people. So maybe that is why there is an amplification of our prayers while fasted. Because you read through it all throughout scripture. There are significant moments and movements of God directly linked to fasting and prayer. Don't miss that. You can pray without fasting, but every time people are fasting in the word of God, it is connected to praying. We fast and pray. Tony Evans said this, the idea, is, the idea of fasting is to devote the time we would ordinarily spend on these activities like eating to, activ to prayer and waiting for before the Lord. Fasting calls us to renounce the natural in order to invoke supernatural. And in my own life, just being honest, there have been times where I have not arranged my schedule very well and I have fasted and I have not prayed. Some of you have done this. Let me just tell you from my own experience, when I have fasted and not prayed, I have become hangry. Anyone know what hangry is? I'm hungry and I'm angry. That means I'm hangry. When we fast, we should pray. And in God's mysterious way, our prayers seem to be amplified as we do. Again, it's not about checking a box of fasting. This is means of grace to, to get more intimacy with God. This is a way to experience more abiding in Christ as I'm fasting, I'm praying, and experience more intimacy with my Father. Here's the fourth and final purpose for our time together today. The purpose of fasting, to long for the forever feast, to long for the forever feast. Let's put Matthew 9 back on the screen. We already read this, but I wanna explain it in a different way. The disciples of John came to him. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. We talked about it earlier, but the bridegroom has left. Jesus Christ has gone on to be sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But one day, we always wanna remind ourselves and get excited about that bridegroom is coming back for his people. One day, Jesus Christ will rule and return to his people to do all that he said he would do. It's the, it's the kingdom reality known as the already, but not yet. What does that mean? In a very real sense, the kingdom of God is already here. Jesus died, rose again, gave us his spirit, gave us a mission, and we are right now proclaimers of a kingdom of God that in a very real sense is already here. We look around our world and we see brokenness and pain and tragedy. In another very real sense, it is not all that it will be when he returns for his people. There will be a day where there will be no more sin and pain and sickness. And Jesus Christ will return to rule and reign again in what Revelation 21 calls the new Jerusalem. 
And fasting, so outside of some of our boxes, is a reminder that this is not the new Jerusalem. The Bible talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb. There will be a banquet in heaven that we will forever feast on. And we have to remember that because we as Americans think we're building our own little kingdom down here. Listen, this is a great country, but it is not a kingdom. And it is not the kingdom. There is coming a day where we will forever feast in the new Jerusalem with our king who rules and reigns with us forever. And in a very real way, fasting is a way we proclaim to the world and ourselves, this is not where it will end. I am starving myself here, longing for the one day where I will forever feast with the risen king. Talking about fasting, Justin Early in his book, The Common Rule, said this, I know of no other way of life that can both acknowledge all that the Lord has done and yet still yearn for all that we desperately long for him to do. This is what happens when we fast. I wanna put all four of those back on the screen. These four purposes of fasting that we have unpacked. I hope tonight, after you see those, after you've heard the teaching of the word of God, that, that there's nobody in here saying, okay, okay, do we have to do this? I hope that you would look at this list and say, my, why would I not get in on just four of the incredible purposes of this expected practice in the life of Jesus' followers? That's how it helps us grow. Here's the last question and I'm done. I'm gonna put this on the ground level. What does this look like practically? You're like, okay, I'm in. I've never done this. What does this look like practically? I've shared over this message that this has become a practice in my own life. But as I shared at the beginning of this series, this whole series is kind of birthed out of a burden in my own heart that I had several years ago where I was just wanting more and I wasn't experiencing the life that I thought Jesus promised me. And so through a, a process of reading a lot of books and spending a lot of time with God and time in community with other people that wanted to grow, I, I began to, to see these spiritual disciplines as something that could really help me grow. But I'm just gonna be honest with you, this was the last one to the table. <laughs> I did not understand it. I had tried it a couple of times and it was weird. And fasting was so far off my radar. But at the end of 2021, I just was in the word of God, spending time with him, and I just can't explain it. I was, I was convicted and convinced by the Holy Spirit that this is something I needed to begin to practice. So in January 2022, me and one of my best friends, we started to fast regularly. Since then, two other friends, have come three of my best friends are in a group text every single Tuesday, we fast. We fast from dinner on Monday night to dinner on Tuesday night. Every Tuesday morning, I wake up and we're texting. How are we praying for each other? How are we praying for each other's families? And every Tuesday, we rearrange our schedule so that we have opportunities to pray and to depend on God. So just letting you know how it looks in my life. During when I normally would be eating breakfast on Tuesdays, I'm, I'm in that other building prepping sermons for Hope Church. I love that I am fasting while I am prepping what I'm going to teach here. There's a desperation for God that is stirred up in me as I am prepping these sermons. And then on Tuesday afternoons, my assistant knows it, all my friends know it, my family knows it. I don't take lunch appointments on Tuesdays. On Tuesdays, you're gonna find me on one of two prayer walking loops in our city. I'm gonna be walking around Mothership Coffee on St. Rose Parkway, a couple mile loop, 
or I'm gonna be walking around this campus and what am I doing? I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm contending with the Lord for my family and for our church and I'm asking the Lord to do what only he can do. And I've just seen on these simple Tuesday fasts, God begin to bring some of these things that we've talked about to bear in my life. This year, we added kind of another layer to this. Every three months, me and those three guys, we, we take three days at the beginning of each quarter to take three days to fast, to set our hearts and minds right as we head into a new quarter. Again, this isn't a lever to control God. This is us saying we wanna be, we wanna be closer to Jesus. We wanna see him move in our lives in a way that we haven't in this last quarter. So we take three days. And I say all that today, not to, to boast, but to show you, this is something that was so far off my radar and I took one step. I've just seen all these things. I've seen my, my whole self be offered to God and I've seen him honor that. I've seen an intensity in my spiritual desire. I've seen my prayers are amplified. I, I've seen me long more than ever before for the forever feast that we will all one day enjoy as followers of Jesus. I said we'd look more at Matthew chapter six. I wanna close by giving you a challenge when it comes to this idea of fasting. It's the challenge Jesus gave. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, there it is again, the expectation, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward See, Jesus seemed to know as he was talking to the crowd that day that there was something special about this practice that would, would make us all wanna boast a little bit. So he encourages us to be discreet in our fasting. This is not for show. I hope you've seen that today. This has nothing to do with looking spiritual. You get no more brownie points in heaven. Oh man, you fasted on Tuesdays. You're getting, you're getting the mansion on the hill in heaven. That's not what we see in the word of God. It's not about what we get. It's about what we experience as we experience more of him. So there's a way to do this wrong, Hope Church. And I even felt that. The first couple months I began fasting, just gonna be very transparent here. I like kind of wanted people to ask me to lunch on Tuesday. <laughs> Some of you have done that, right? You're fasting and somebody says, hey man, you wanna go to lunch? Oh no, 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 no. I am fasting. I'm dedicating my body to the Lord today. Thank you for the invite, but I am fasting. Somebody's at the, at the lunch table at work. Hey man, you want this cookie? Oh no, 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 sorry, I'm fasting. It's almost like Jesus knew it wasn't just the Pharisees he was talking to that day, it's also the Pharisees in us. It's not about looking some spiritual part. It's about getting more of God in our lives. Because in a unique way, Fasting creates a hunger for God and deepens our dependence on him. So again, this series, we don't wanna just agree with sermons, we wanna apply them. We don't wanna just listen, we wanna start living this stuff. How do we practice? This one is, might be the simplest yet, here it is. Choose a day this week to fast. Start small. Maybe today, maybe this week you say, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose one meal. I'm gonna fast from one meal and I'm gonna arrange my schedule with when I normally would be eating that meal, I'm gonna spend time with God in prayer. Maybe for you, you're thinking, man, I think I could do two meals. Maybe for you, you're thinking, I think I could do the whole day. Again, start small and see how God begins to show up 
And don't think it's just gonna be this magic moment. Please, we wanna overemphasize all of these practices. You don't just do it once and glory falls down from heaven. It's the consistency of the practice that pays off. And I understand, listen, this may need to look different for health reasons. You, you can know your body, be wise, and trust God. I'm not saying that everything we said today applies across the board. You know your body, you know what you need to do, but some of you have just not done what you know you should do because like me, you said, I don't get it, I'm out. I'm gonna challenge us this week as a church. What if we started doing what Jesus expected us to do? Maybe it's one meal, maybe it's two, maybe it's a day. Maybe you'll work up to where you fast for a few days to see an intensity in your prayer life and your relationship with God. I don't know how this lands on you tonight. I know this is a different kind of message. Probably a message you may not have heard ever in your Christian life. This is one of the least talked about as you study topics of the Sermon on the Mount. Fasting gets like the, the least amount of love because it's hard. It's literally, not, not allegorically, it's literally starving your flesh to experience a deeper spiritual life. So I just ask you to bow your heads for a moment. I don't know who you are today, how this lands on you. Maybe today you're, you're feeling like I was, convicted and convinced. This is an area of your life that you know should be a practice but just hasn't been. I wanna, I wanna lovingly challenge you not to check a box but to trust God for more in your life, for more abiding, for more desire for him in your life. Fasting is one practice that could bring that, that could cultivate that. As always, we're gonna have pastors up here. If you're wrestling with things, if you have health issues, financial things, we just are down here, pastors and prayer volunteers, if you need to just be prayed for, we love this opportunity to minister to you here today and you don't know Jesus, he's done everything necessary to save you. You came to the right place tonight to hear about a good God who loved you so much he didn't want you to stay in your sin. So he came to this earth and he, he died, he rose again to, to defeat he death, hell, and the grave and your sin and he stands ready to save you. Stands ready to invite you one day to that forever feast that we'll all have as followers of Jesus in heaven. However God's leading you to respond, I pray you would tonight. Holy Spirit, whatever it is you're doing in the people's hearts right now, I pray we would all respond in obedience. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hard things, Lord, because it's in those things that you help us grow and you help us better abide in you. We love you, Lord. As we respond in worship, would we respond in obedience? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together tonight.